and welcome into another episode of Turning the Corner, a Detroit Tigers podcast. I'm Kieran Steckley. With me, as always, beat writer extraordinaire. His allergies include liars, flakes, people who ain't about it, and cats. He is Cody Stavenhagen. Cody, how you doing? Spot on. You nailed it. Uh, don't like liars, flakes. I, I don't mind cats, but I am like mildly allergic to cats. So, uh, which yeah. Yeah, well, which makes uh, coming over to my house a little challenging whenever the occasion arises, and will be a little bit more challenging because we, and I haven't told you this yet, oh, God. have got another cat. <laughs> another cat? I knew I knew another animal was coming soon. <laughs> I kind of figured it'd be a third dog. I figured it was time for another dog. The cats have been multiplying well recently. So this weekend, this past weekend, you know, my fiance Alexis, she had her bridal shower. So her and a friend were over making some decorations in the garage. And lo and behold, a cat comes up and, you know, it, you know, take it in, put it in the, uh, in the bathroom. So it's not like, you know, it's near freezing outside and all that stuff. And then take it to work the next day, doesn't have a chip, and no response on, like, some general, like, lost animal, you know, Facebook pages or whatever, and so she fell in love with it, and, you know, and what am I to say? Can't say anything. It's like, if you want to, you know, what's the difference between three and four, right? So, (laughs) so, So we got ourselves another cat. So for people keeping track at home, that's four cats, two dogs, and a zoo at my house. So I'm rooting for a third dog now. We got to balance this out. <laughs> we got to balance it out. Yeah, well, you know, so like the previous cat we got, like when they started looking for one, but it comes into work and it's got a fish hook in its mouth, and then, you know, she falls in love with it. What am I supposed to say? And then same thing here. It's like. It's, you know, not to say it compares to Michigan winters, but it is literally freezing outside and cat comes up and it's cute and it's cuddly and, you know, you, you just can't win. There's like, what are you supposed to say? You can't say no to that, you know? So, so we got ourselves another cat. So that, <laughs> I always like these intros to try to tie into something if I can. So that, that was the reason for that. Um, it was a, Eventful week for baseball, Cody, but not necessarily for the Tigers per se, although there was a little news. Um, but we'll start with the the grand scheme. Hall of Fame voting became, you know, uh, the results were released. Only David Ortiz will be elected into the Hall of Fame this year. That means the likes of Roger Clemens, the likes of Barry Bonds, and the likes of Kurt Schilling are no longer eligible on the first run of Hall of Fame eligibility and i would say not shocking not surprising in the least but it did spark a lot of conversations about the hall of fame in general and it's not political in the sense of actual politics but it just it was such a mirror to me i'll give my piece and i'll kind of let you kind of give an interpretation it really mirrored politics in a lot of ways for me because I do feel like there was a lot of emotional 
voting in this sense um, because David Ortiz has a tie. I'm not going to over, you know, there's a lot we don't know, but he has a tie to PEDs, but he's very likable. And so he put him in. Bonds, obviously. Clemens, obviously. Not necessarily the most kind of folk, reputation-wise, also plays a part into that. And then Kurt Schilling, unless I'm missing something, no tie in the PEDs. However, you talk about the personal stuff, and then if you want to do a direct correlation with politics, there's that element. Not elected into the Hall of Fame. And you'll get a kick out of this. I can't claim credit for it. I can't claim credit for it, but another guy just does a general... I'll say I'm outside him. Ryan Rosillo has a regular podcast on The Ringer. And he said it's the first time Twitter's ever been in favor of voter suppression. (laughs) 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 Because everyone was so mad on Twitter at the voters for not putting in like Bonds and Clemens and, and, you know, and probably to a lesser extent shilling. But again, you know, you kind of lump them together. And it was honestly a attack of the media that was kind of reminiscent of you know like donald trump's presidency the republicans looking at the media being like oh you know they they don't give me a fair shake or you know they don't give him a fair shake or whatever a lot of hatred going to the media this week cody did you did did, did you sense that as well It, it felt like a lot of people were just blaming the media where i feel like yes they're the ones that have the votes and I do, I want to get on the record, support those guys getting into the Hall of Fame, all the PED dudes. But at the same time, like, can we also, like, and I do this with politics, if I'm going to be honest, can we also kind of be fair about, like, you know, these guys did do it, so let's not, like, make them innocent? You know what I mean? Like, there's, there, there's, there's this kind of seesaw that i'm doing in my mind about this hall of fame the ped era and all that stuff and like i said i would vote them in i would be supportive of them getting it however let's not pretend that this thing wasn't a thing that makes sense yeah i think one of the big differences is like even the media is mad at the media here which goes back to my always like who like who are these old people with their votes and why are they not voting these guys in because the vast majority of baseball writers on Twitter seem to be complaining, like, why are these guys not in the Hall of Fame? Uh, I, I can only think of a couple writers off the top of my head who are, are pretty vocal, still taking stances against PED guys in the Hall of Fame, Tom Verducci being one of them. Quick side note, I love how Tom Verducci is not on um, Twitter. He was on a Jeff Perlman podcast recently talking about his career, and Jeff's like, how, how, how are you not on Twitter? And he's like, I hate Twitter. Guess what? I, I hate Twitter too, but I don't have the luxury of like <laughs> of uh, yeah. coming to prominence in the 90s. Like I can't not be on Twitter. I would be ir- more irrelevant than I already am. But Tom Verducci <laughs> gets to not be on Twitter. Uh, so That's privilege right there, baby. Yeah, yeah. It's probably a lot of these guys who aren't on Twitter that are, that are which generally means they're old. Uh, <laughs> not to <laughs> knock Tom. I, I really respect Tom. Some of these other faceless guys who have BBWA gold cards or whatever, you know, like, what like what are we doing? Um, I don't know. Like, yeah, we know they did PEDs. I think that's the thing. It's time to accept. One of the best things I saw, I think it's time to accept the steroid era was more of an institutional failure for Major League Baseball than, like, some sort of individual 
um, thing we should moralize in terms of who gets in the Hall of Fame. Because when, like, I think one of the most Major League Baseball things of all time was to have a multi-hour special on MLB Network in which none of the best players of an entire generation reached the Hall of Fame, you know. Let's have this big Hall of Fame reveal and then not put the most beloved players in, in the a Hall digital just age, stupid. nonetheless. Yeah, just just stupid. And Ortiz, you know, David Ortiz would get my vote. I think it's hypocritical that he's in and Barry Bonds and Roger Clemens and Sammy Sosa and those guys aren't. Um, and we we talk a lot about Bonds and Clemens, like people forget Sammy Sosa in this in this conversation for some yeah, reason. And, and all these Mark other McGuire. guys and Martin McGuire, like. Um, so, I don't know. I mean, I have strong feelings on it. Uh, I think they'll all get in the Hall of Fame eventually, uh, whether it's through one of these veterans committees or maybe just in another. I, I also think like 81 of the last 86 BBWAA members to have got a vote in the last five years, like voted in favor of bonds or something like that. Uh, so, basically, pretty much everyone of a younger generation is voting these guys in. And. Uh, in terms of the media thing, like, yeah, there are even a couple players who were like, why are the writers, the guys voting on this? I get that. I wonder how similar it would be in any demographic, though. Say Hall of Fame players had a vote. How many of them would vote for guys in the steroid era? Uh, the late Hank Aaron would not have voted for these guys. It seems like he was pretty vocal about that. Honestly, yeah. I don't think Al Kaline would have. I, I kind of, I don't know Al's personal feelings on that, but I kind of doubt it. You know? I think he I think had said something where he was, yeah. like, years ago. I, I could be wrong. I could be wrong. But I think he had said something years ago where he yeah. was, you know, very against these guys getting so, it. So I, I think no matter who's voting, whether it's players, managers, broadcasters, writers, fans, I think there would be pretty similar, like, demographic divides by, by age when people who were voting for these players to get in and people who weren't. A couple things there. Um, one, I feel strongly about defending the media, having the ability to vote on these things. Same thing with like awards, you know, during the season. Um, forgive me for a second. I'm going to use a topical non-baseball analogy. Uh-oh. Uh, NBA players love Russell Westbrook and he's washed. And like LeBron James essentially mandated that they get him to the Lakers over like uh, Buddy Heald, who would have made their team way better. way better. better. Yeah, but you're LeBron killing me, Jake. Here, you've already gotten politics player. and NBA, and we're, we're just like ten minutes in here. Well, hey, <laughs> it's, it's I I just love analogies. I'm sorry, I just love analogies. <laughs> and so I I defend the writers, the notion that the writers need to vote on this, just in general. I I defend that wholeheartedly. Uh, number two. I, I just get a hard and I know I've mentioned this before, but I have a hard time wrapping my arms around Buck Sea League being in <laughs> and all these managers being in that either knew or directly profited from or both these dudes doing roids. So we're talking about Joe Torre, we're talking about Tony LaRusso, we're talking yeah. about those guys. So I have a problem with them being in, but the actual players not being in. Another notion that I read about this week is that, you know, we are in the lockout, right? So we're talking about labor issues. I, I This just needs to be added to the conversation. Like, when the, the MLB Players Association 
was against testing long after the owners were. Because, for a simple reason, as we've talked about with these two sides on anything, owners for something, players against it. If the owners said that I think we should keep the streetlight system of red, yellow, and green, the players have been like, what about orange? I think maybe we should do orange and and blue and maybe like a mahogany. And that, that, that they just can never agree on anything. The players' union at one time said they were anti-steroid testing because of, quote, privacy. <laughs> privacy. And when they finally instituted some sort of, like, testing and punishment, it was so light you wouldn't even believe it. It was like yeah. fir- first pop test therapy. <laughs> <laughs> Second pop test something else. And then it's like the third one you got, like, a 15-day suspension. It was one of those things where you could conceivably test positive four times in a year, and then you'd be like good post All Star break, wow. like 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 that's how much of a joke it was, and and so players in general, like the players' association, the players at the time, even the clean ones, like when they did that O three anonymous testing or whatever, I think I read that sixteen members of the White Sox were like gonna refuse the test. <laughs> Like, like, again, like, I'm just saying this as anecdotes about how complicated it was and it is. And then there's this thing about how Senator Mitchell, like, used to work for the Red Sox. and Maybe that contributed to, you know, some of his findings. I don't know that to be a fact, but I'm just saying it's out there. I listened to a lot of New York podcasts this week, and they were pretty fired up about about how Ortiz has gotten this pass. Mm -hmm. So just throwing that out there into the ethos. So all that to say that it's really complicated, all that to say that I would put them in, all that to say that I just don't like picking and choosing just in general. Like if you have this principle, like any writer that voted against Barry Bonds and they voted for Tony La Russa, in my opinion, should be stripped, should be stripped. Like I, I would go that long. It's like, tell me the, the hot takes. Tell me the difference. It's like, so, so you literally had a Hall of Fame resume because of guys on roids. Yeah. And those guys can't get in the Hall of Fame. And you obviously knew about it because you're in a clubhouse for 162 games a year. And you chose to do nothing. So, I don't know. I also had this I also had this anecdote that I sort of thought, like, I, 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 I kind of feel bad for, like, the Frank Thomases of the world, the Ken Griffey's of the world, the guys that have 100% clean records um, when, it, when it comes to this stuff, but happened to play in that era. I mean, just think about how hard it would have been if you were clean and take out the all-time great talents like the Thomases and the Griffies to play in that well, we era. We talked about this. What about the guys who aren't getting in the Hall of Fame? The Todd Hilton's guys like that. Yeah. yeah. Well, well, that, yeah, the guys aren't getting the Hall of Fame. And when you know, when you know that this is not natural, um... And kind of lazily, just speaking for myself, like, unless I have, like, documented, really good verified proof, I kind of think, I'm just going to assume basically everybody was doing That's something. You know, That's it's kind of like, too. you know, I, I, I went to public school here in Dallas, you know. When I reached a certain age, I just kind of assumed everybody was having sex. 
Like I don't like yeah, you know. True. Like I, I think you can relate to that. I think a lot of people could relate to that. It's like I just kind of assumed that everybody was doing it, and so with the steroid era, more or less, yeah. unless unless I can. This, uh, that's true. I kind of. Yeah, I grew up in Amarillo, Texas. There are a lot of these churchy couples who would claim they were saving it for marriage. They weren't. They weren't. <laughs> and sometimes you wouldn't find that out for many, many months, and then it's like. You're right, and after a while, I was like, "Wait, no one's no one's actually saving it for marriage. Like, no one is. You know, it might have. I don't know that steroids were much different. I think that was actually some, the first some were time more my like highly stolen. publicized than others. <laughs> <laughs> the first time my innocence was stolen was I figured out those typey couples were like involved in that uh, sort of. Uh, I was like, "Whoa, whoa, whoa!" Yeah, it was a game changer. You over here talking to me about Jesus, and you know, <laughs> I'm no expert, but. Um, so, like, it is complicated. And by the way, like, uh, you know, on some positive notes, we're talking about some guys. You mentioned Helton. I, I think he's kind of primed to get in next year. I think uh, Scott Rowland also would be a guy to get in next year because I looked at the new candidates. It's, yeah. for, <laughs> it's yeah. light. Like, it's about to get a lot, a lot thinner. Uh, like, uh, I think uh, Jared Weaver's like one of the top, like, <laughs> newly eligible guys. And I was like, Jared Weaver? Like he makes the list. He makes the list <laughs> yeah. of like new eligible guys. Like that's what we're going. That we're about to get barren. We might have like, unless some writers get around on the Todd Heltons of the world and the uh, and the Scott Rollins of the world and the Carlos Beltran thing is going to be a little interesting as well. Uh, unless they get around on those dudes, we could have like a year of no inductees. Yeah, it, it's not inconceivable. Um. But in general, this week kind of felt like another example, and it is partially unfair, but when you have a lockout where two sides are far apart and we're looking for people to blame, and then, again, the the Hall of Fame's not actually related to Major League Baseball. It's like its own thing, but it is always connected, especially in the public eye. So you have this lockout where people are arguing over money, essentially, and then, arguably the greatest baseball player of all time, arguably the best pitcher of a generation and one of the top several of all time, and the arguably the best postseason pitcher of a generation, don't get in the Hall of Fame. I guess all that to say, I'm just tired of baseball in general taking L's, man. I'm just tired of them taking L's. It's just, it just seems like one after another. And... You know, with the next step, with the next process, you know, things could change or whatever. But I, I really liked how you brought up Sosa. You know, the Maguires of the world. Like, there's, there's, there's guys that are also deserving. If we're gonna let in Schilling, I'm not, not Schilling. I, I want to separate him from the PED part. But like, you know, Clemens and Bonds, I, I would put them all in, and I would just not even worry about like this whole notion of like its own wing, asterisks. Yeah, like, I we used all to know. like that idea. I don't. We all know. Yeah, it's stupid. We all yeah. know, and you know, there's a there's a quote from the Da Vinci Code where uh, the movie. I've never read the book where it's like, as long as there's been a god, there's been people killing in his name. As long as there's been baseball, there's been people I'm trying to skirt and cheat the rules. So the old guard, much respect. The old guard, this notion that. They were pure. It's like, you know, whatever was available to you, I'm pretty sure you were doing. 
Just saying. Get out of here. Yeah. Uh, no doubt. Uh, funny enough, baseball could sure use another, like, Sosa McGuire home run chase right now. You know, could use something to uh, rally people back around the game. Because you're right, a lot, a lot of L's. And that's another thing, too, with, like, I actually heard some people criticizing, like, media at the time for not being, like, more aggressive. Mm-hmm. And... There's part of it, like a small part of it, that I would like agree with, but like you, for instance, I would, I like if if the steroid era was right now and you were, you know, covering the Tigers and they had a couple of juicers and you just kind of had to make a business choice that you're not going to get involved in that because that could ruin some relationships and that could ruin your ability to do your job on a day to day basis. There should be no criticism to the Cody Staven Hagens of 1996, of 1998, you know, 1999. The people with some equity, you mentioned Tom Berducci, like it, he could do that now. Obviously, you know, like, yeah. you know, Ken Rosenthal could do that now. I think mean, it's a little bit different. Like when they say like the media, just like anything else, again, politics, the media, like we yeah. say the media, that's too overarching. Um, I, I don't necessarily think that warrants criticism, but Fans in general it, it should accept some blame because no one was really raising much of an eyebrow. They were all just into the party. Like I said, the 1998 home run chase. And I don't know. I, I Internally, I struggle with like, I do, like it was like illegal, right? Like legally, it was illegal to be taking these drugs. And it wasn't, I guess, against Major League Baseball rules specifically, but it was illegal. Right. So I do believe right. it was, quote-unquote, the wrong thing to do. And I do, like, I want there to be some repercussions just in general. Now, I could argue waiting 10 more years to get in the Hall of Fame would be just punishment. Like, I, I could be down for that, and I think, you know, the majority of these guys have have done that and will do that but i also think they deserve to be in so that's one of the things i'm wrestling with internally just as me is that i believe we shouldn't necessarily like ignore that they cheated the game but i wouldn't necessarily hang it over for the rest of their lives if that makes sense because everybody else was it was doing it and also i'm going on tangents here i do not like the fact when people that are way pro the steroid guys like getting in which again i more or less agree with them but one of the things they take it too far in my opinion is like well you know you still gotta be able to hit a baseball it's like do you not that uh, to me that kind of makes it sound like you don't really know how athletic training works like if you have natural talent and you can hit a baseball that's great but if you can also work out and not have any sort of and cut down your recovery like exponentially, that's a pretty good advantage about hitting a baseball, <laughs> like or, or or you know getting a little velocity on on your pitches. I I I hate that argument where it's like, well, steroids didn't make them. You still have to be able to hit it. It's like, yeah, but everybody that makes the major leagues as a positional player more or less can't hit a baseball, quote unquote. Sure. But the thing is, but there, if you're, if you have the ability to get strong, unlimited strength, essentially, and have no 
bodily consequences from it in terms of recovery and all that stuff. Like it, it, it makes things a little easier. And another element that kind of got eradicated from the game is after steroids, people players started going to HGH. And that yeah. was kind of that was kind of testy to get out of the game. The players union didn't want blood testing. Remember that? Mm-hmm. And eventually they relented, and you know HGH got out of the game. So that's just another example of you know players taking advantage. Which again, I don't fault. Like if I was a tweener major leaguer, I'll be honest. Triple A, I can oh, get a yeah. shot of yeah, something. We've, we've said that before. Of yeah, course. I would have done it. I would have done it. There's a lot of money on the line, you know. Someone offered me something right now that, hey, you're going to, you know, triple your salary and, and you know, whatever, extend the uh, your job security and your career. And it's, your you know, life. it's not necessarily immoral. It's just one of those things that's kind of on the down low. I'm not sure I'd say no right now, you know. Yeah. It, it I mean, would be very hard for anyone to say no. Let's just say your colleagues at The Athletic, like James, right. Chris, Max, you know, Colton, Austin. It's like they took the limitless pill, and all of a sudden they were yeah. able to churn out all these articles, and you weren't. Yeah, yeah. They'd be like, "Well, shit, dude. Like, I, give me the pill. Give right. me the pill." Right. So, you know, it. Like I said, the, I hope this kind of made sense, but I, I that that's me sort of going at my back and forth as I kind of process things in my head, and like I said, I would put them all in. I disagree with a lot of arguments on both sides, including the side that I'm on, but I would put them all in. Um, You wrote an article this week in The Athletic that said, who could be the next Tiger to get in the Hall of Fame? We know the Lou Whitaker thing. We've talked about the Lou Whitaker thing. Obviously, Verlander. Miguel Cabrera will be... I want to say there, and I know you put in the article, I want to say they're locks for the first ballot Hall of Fame status. But riders can be weird, so maybe not. You never maybe know. Not. Maybe <laughs> not. You know, <laughs> like, Verlander's probably not going to get 300 wins, so maybe not. Maybe not first ballot, you know. Um, they, they, oh, they're not, you're right. If they're I'm not the first ballot, what are we doing? Like, yeah. what are we doing here? You're, you're also right in that you never surely know. But if but we're going to give a closer 100% of the vote. <laughs> of, uh, <laughs> That's honestly, I wish you should write a book about how about the Baseball Hall of Fame. I don't know if this will jeopardize your BBWA status and about how it's stupid that a closer got 100% of the vote. Just write a book on that. I think I, it would be. I would love to. I would um, love to. But, so, yeah, those guys will be in the Hall of Fame. You mentioned Max Scherzer. Um, the Jim Leland thing's an interesting one. Uh, there's decent arguments on both sides. One of the things that you have said just generally speaking on this podcast is you know I want it to be the Hall of Fame not the Hall of Very Good and as much as I love Jim Leland and appreciate what he did for the Tigers especially you know that was my adolescence made it very fun to be a Tigers fan I would probably lean toward the side of not a Hall of Fame manager. Although I, there are some numbers that you could pull up that make him ride in the company of guys who ought to be Hall of Famers. And even I know it's a little bit different because he's won a World Series. But I think when we talked about the Dusty Baker thing a long while ago, 
I think it kind of applies where if they were both in, I would have no complaints. But I don't know if I would be championing them getting into the Hall of Fame. So where's I, I come from? Uh, that was me being emotional and also trying to be rational. You're just rational. So where do you kind of line up on that? This is a really hard one. Leland will be eligible for induction through um, one of the committees. I don't remember which one, you know, so he'll it won't be a writer vote that that gets Leland into the Hall of Fame. Off the top of my head, I was like, oh, Jim Leland. Yeah, he's a Hall of Famer. And I kind of started thinking about it. It's like, oh, no, he's he only won World, one World Series. Like, he's probably not. And then one thing, even though I, again, if we were starting the Hall of Fame from scratch, I would be a small Hall guy, but we can't start the Hall of Fame from scratch. I look at precedent. Jim Leland is 18th on the all-times win, wins list managerial-wise. And it looks like what? 14, 15 of the guys in front of him are all in the Hall of Fame. The guys who aren't, Bruce Bochy, who just might get in the Hall of Fame. People are talking about Bochy like he might be a lock, even though his career winning percentage is below 500. Yeah. But he did win three titles, so I guess that's the difference there. Uh, Dusty Baker, who, if there's any debate, I don't know. Now he has a World Series title. He's 12th on the all-times wins list. I think Dusty Baker might get him. Uh, Gene Mock, who has a 483 career career winning percentage, no World Series. I kind of get why he's not in. Lou Pinella, Terry Francona, those guys have pretty good Hall of Fame cases themselves. So all these guys could get in, and then you arrive at Leland, and it's like, okay, 18th all-time in wins, got a World Series with the Marlins. I think the big knock on him is his winning percentage is only 506. There are some other notable managers like Earl Weaver, like Bobby Cox, who only have one World Series, but they do have significantly higher win percentages. Earl Weaver's at uh, 583, Bobby Cox 556. Um, so that's kind of the knock on Leland, but I don't know. He managed some rather bad Pirates teams early in his career, really built up the Pirates, won three straight uh, division titles. Uh, obviously only managed the Marlins for two years. That was kind of a different situation. The Rockies, that's probably the one real blemish on his resume. One year he managed it and went 72 and 90. He called it good and got out of there, but then resurfaced with the Tigers immediately won an AL pennant, um, won two AL pennants, had a very successful run there as Tigers manager. So he did it, you know, he won three consecutive division titles with two different teams. Tony La Russa is the only other manager to ever do that. And neither of those teams was the team he won the World Series with. Like, this guy had a lot of success uh, with three different franchises. I think when you talk about the Hall of Fame, you kind of have to keep in mind just, like, icon status. I think Leland was absolutely one of the more iconic managers of his era kind of a bigger personality an interesting guy i think based on looking at the other managers who are in oh it's so hard i think leland is just right there on the edge you know if he would have won one more world series in detroit that probably would have been enough to say oh yeah for sure but i think based on the precedent i think uh i think if i had a vote i'd put him in you know, if you say you say precedent, um, and this might be me sort of like talking my way in, into Leland being a Hall of Famer. I want to talk about context. 
So when we talk about names of the greatest managers of all time, the thing, the names that roll off the tongue, no particular order, like Connie Mack, McGraw. You know, Connie Stangle. Mack had a 486 career winning percentage. So yeah, that's true. He won five uh, World Series. He also managed for 80 years. years. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Walt Alston. Um, I kind of wish. I think this is only a manager thing. I kind of think like when you had the league smaller than it is now, and when we think about the greatest managers of all time, most of them come from those Joe McCarthy, like those those like iconic franchises. Joe Torre, although that's obviously recent, those iconic franchises that, in other ways, big and small basically had an advantage on the rest of the competition that's not really reputable today um so i want to give credit to a jim leland of the world that built up a team as opposed to taking over a team that had you know whitey ford and mickey mantle and yogi berra and just kind of rided it out you know um, but I guess in fairness, Ralph uh, Hawk is not in the Hall of Fame, I believe, and he was, you know, one of those Yankee managers of the day. And Billy Martin, we've talked about Billy Martin before. Yeah. yeah. Um, but you know, like I just Leo DeRocher is in the Hall of Fame. I mean, look at the Hall. If, if you were to, like track the amount of Hall of Famers those guys manage compared to like Jim Leland. It would be lopsided. And it's not like Jim Leland managed terrible teams. He didn't. Obviously, we talked about the wins. We talked about the World Series stuff. But it would be pretty pretty lopsided. And contextually, I think that's why I'm sort of talking myself into it. I think there's a way that you can be like, he did this much with this much talent. That's a great manager. That's an all-time manager. That's a Hall of Fame manager. Whereas, I think that's kind of a manager-specific thing because uh, the way baseball history ran its course over the you know first half of the century with just many lopsided um, teams, especially the Yankees and in certain eras the Red Sox, and you know some man you know some benefited from it like Sparky Anderson, you know. Had those great teams with the Reds, and yeah. the Tigers championship looks a lot better when two Hall of Famers, you know, and that's basically it. As you know, they didn't have a nickname like the Big Red Machine, you know, so that makes right. it look a little bit better. But there were lean years with Sparky Anderson as well in Detroit. So I don't know. I just think the manager thing's a little bit different. But if you could contextualize and look at who who these guys had. And look at the eras, and look at player development. And by the way, a Hall of Fame voter has all the time in the world to be able to do these things. I think there's a better argument for Leland. Again, again, right now I would lean no, but I think there's a better argument for Leland than what I thought before I kind of did this research and thought about it. I'm I'm looking at the list. Here's some guys who had good careers in baseball but aren't Hall of Famers: Ned Yost, Ron Gardenhire. Uh, Bobby Valentine, 
Okay, those guys rank kind of in the 40s on the all-time managerial wins list. Almost everyone above them is in the Hall of Fame. Like, like go on Baseball Reference, look at this list. Uh, I think it's hard to exclude Jim Leland just looking at the all-time managerial wins list. I think you draw a line somewhere down here, and Jim Leland is above that line. Well, I will say this as well. Some of those those names with the championships, again, I think is also inflated because they were just on teams that were teams in an era that were structured yeah. to where there was not parity. Right. right. Let's let's look at managers who have won in the era of free agency. I mean, Larusa, Bochi, Francona. You know, Leland, Pinella, like those are, those are kind of the most like Joe Torrey. Those are kind of the most iconic guys on this list. I think Jim Leland's right there with him. He did it with multiple franchises in multiple ways. Three pennants, got one World Series to his name. Uh, you know, you could argue maybe he should have more than one World Series, but on the postseason wins list, he was forty-four and forty, number five on the all-time postseason wins list. And by the way, um, by the way, I know I know you come from a lineage of of Braves fandom, but he was this close to getting another pennant. Yeah, closer than Bobby Cox. Uh, he, it, uh, gosh, I wish I could remember the the Braves runner's name, like the slowest guy in Major League Baseball that beat Barry uh, <laughs> yeah. uh, Barry Bonds' throw. L- look that uh, up real quick. Yeah, I know it. I know it. Um, I'm gonna kick myself when I when I. Uh... But if they were that close and they were that talented, they should have, you know, could have, arguably should have won the pennant that year. Was it uh, Sid Bream? Is that right? Yeah. Sid Bream. The most unathletic run around, you know, turn around third base. And and Barry Bonds, you know, tie everything in, you know. Uh, at that time was the best left fielder in baseball, right? And, mm-hmm. and. The throw was just a little off, and they were just short of getting another pennant right there. But, um, but yeah, so that kind of goes to show you the the margins in sport and, and, and baseball in general. So I obviously would love for Jim Leland to be in the Hall of Fame, but um, I'm also – I consider these things that we talked about earlier an indictment. I wouldn't consider Jim Leland not being the Hall of Fame an indictment of the Hall of Fame or the process or the voting and all that stuff. So, oh, I hope he gets in. I hope he gets in. I, I hope Lou Whitaker gets in. I hope Bill Freehand gets in. I think those are guys that are definitely deserving as well. Um, that's one of the problems with the sport that has evolved and expanded and, and all that stuff is that you compare him to other people who are already in. And it's, you know, and it's like, well, he's better than this person, but that person just happened to do it in an era where the uh, sample size was smaller or the pool of candidates was smaller. So uh, we can we can move on to a little bit of a talking point uh, this week. Little Tigers news. Uh, they 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 brought back an old face, Cody, and a face that I know you're you're fond of. So uh, why don't you kind of take it away with uh, with with some coaching staff news for the Tigers this week? Well, yeah. So after the the tragic passing of of Kamara Barty, of course, um, Tigers had a, an opening on their major league staff. 
And I was kind of curious how they would fill it because it's a, it's a weird time to hire a coach. You know, a lot of guys have already taken their jobs. It's uh, really not an ideal time to add someone to your major league staff. The Tigers had already interviewed other people before deciding to stick with Kamara Barty. Um, so they hired within the organization, which I kind of thought they would do. I was like, maybe, maybe just bump up Arnie Baylor, you know, from an instructor role. They went instead with Gary Jones, who had recently been hired to manage uh, AAA Toledo. Gary Jones, he was third base coach for the Cubs during their World Series run, managed A.J. Hinch uh, back in his minor league days, I believe. And so Gary Jones is going to take that role. That leaves you with a, ma- a vacancy for your AAA manager. Again, probably not something that's easy to fill in late January. The Tigers have brought back Lloyd McClendon to the organization to fill this role, which, oh, I don't know. I don't, I don't, you know, a lot of people didn't like it. I don't know that I, I like it. I think it's a, very much a shift of gears from all these younger progressive hires we had seen the Tigers make. But I also get it because you got to get someone in January. And I think in Lloyd, you get someone who has experience, knows what he's doing, can manage your ball club. He's not going to come in and mess things up, basically. Whereas if you hire some young guy, maybe you could. Uh, I, I wonder if it'll be a one-year thing. I feel like it's probably going to be a one-year thing. I wonder what phone calls between A.J. Hinch and Lloyd McClendon will be like. Um, Lloyd's pretty old school. At the same time, I don't know. Kind of a balance in thought, right? You hired all these young guys. You're, you're going to continue implementing more and more analytics at the minor league level, your AAA skipper is an old school guy who knows how things are done, can probably teach things to some of these younger coaches. Uh, maybe that's a decent balancing act. I don't know. Also, I guess Tigers probably deserve some kudos. I would imagine um, diversity was a factor in these decisions. Both Gary Jones and Lloyd McClendon are African-Americans, as was Kamara Barty. So the Tigers... Um, hired another black man on their major league staff and and basically kept that diversity within the organization by bringing back Lloyd. I would imagine that was factored in at least to some degree. Uh, So yeah, the Lloyd thing, like it is kind of crazy that under the AJ Hinch Tigers, Lloyd McClendon is like back in the organization in a, in a fairly prominent role. But uh, I get it. I think they were in a weird position where you had to find someone to, fill a big role in your major league staff. I think AJ probably liked to Gary Jones a lot and he's, he's going to fill that role and he's seems to be somewhat older guy, but also fairly forward thinking. And, uh, and Lloyd, you get someone who's going to be able to hold down your ship at, at triple a for maybe what's just a short period of time. Yeah. Okay. So I think the way I look at it is it's not double a, it's not single a, this is true. It's triple a. And, I see a lot of benefit of having a major league manager, you know, and a guy who was also a hitting coach at the major league level, as your AAA manager, and a guy who can, I want to say mold, because a lot of the molding already should be done, but sort of help further teach how to be a, how to carry sure. yourself like a major sure. leaguer. There's some and at And at AAA, I think, especially because, you know, you know, how many injuries went with the Tigers last year where they had to bring guys up 
And by the way, no matter when this lockout ends and whenever the season starts, there's going to be a little bit of a rush and you can bet your bottom dollar that there's going to be some injuries and, you know, some attrition from sort of like a hastened approach to the season. Having a guy at AAA who is a stable force, who knows how to operate a high-level professional ball club, I'm down for that. I, I, I really think there's a lot of benefit, and I'm not, as, especially if you get some other coaches in there that can do the performance science stuff and the analytics stuff, and you just kind of have an adult in the room, a guy that's going to kind of mold these guys and help them, you know, mold them professionally, I would say, like how they carry themselves. I think there's a lot of benefit to a Lloyd McClendon type as your, as your AAA manager. We're talking about something different if it's AA. We're talking about something different if it's, you know, short season A ball and, you know, all that stuff. But we're talking about AAA where guys yeah. are going to be coming in and out. I, I think that's actually a great I, benefit to have someone like Lloyd there. And you could argue that you're kind of lucky to have someone with his length of yeah. resume to be a minor league manager. I think that's a pretty good point. I don't think the AAA manager is like actually this player development role. Like the Tigers hired guys to fill those player development roles. The AAA manager is look, number one, AAA is a weird environment. Any player who's been there will tell you you have these young guys knocking on the door. You have veterans bitter that they're not in the big leagues. You kind of have to manage some of those personalities and those egos that's probably the main function of a AAA manager and then someone to just send reliable reports up to the big leagues. Hey, is this guy ready? Lloyd might measure things a little differently than other guys on the Tigers staff will, but uh, it's not like there's a, a void of bright minds in the Tigers organization anymore. So I think you make a good point. One more thing I would say, though, I'd be kind of pissed if I were Tom Prince. I don't really know why Tom Prince was, was not brought back to manage AAA. Yeah. Haven't heard that much on it. Um, at the time, I kind of assumed it was a, maybe a difference in thought. AJ and company wanted someone they knew, someone maybe a little more forward-thinking, so Gary Jones. Okay, well, you have to bump up Gary Jones, and then if, if I'm Tom Prince, I'm like, really, you replace me with Lloyd McClendon? Like, like really? <laughs> like, like you think Lloyd's going to be better at this than I am? Uh, I'd be kind of pissed if I were Tom Prince and my few interactions with Tom, I, I liked him and uh, hadn't heard anything negative about the guy. I think he was older school, but more progressive than Lloyd, I would I venture to guess. So I don't know the exact uh, palace intrigue there, but I think that's something else to consider. I get anyone who would uh, not be thrilled with the Lloyd hire, but again, it was late January. You know, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe it was like, who do we hire? And then it's like, oh, we got no one. And then Al's like, I know a guy who would say yes. And oh, yeah. you, are you, you really going to fault him, you know? You basically had to hire someone who was not unemployed, per se, but more or less. Pretty, that, was those, that was pretty much the guys you were picking from. Pretty much uh, some older retired guys or someone who was out of the game for some reason. Or you could come up with, like, a complete unknown and make him your AAA manager. So, yeah, tough As, decision. As good as good of a stopgap as um, as you could have, like I said, there, like there you, probably like a you lot said, of like baseball thought. I'm look, Lloyd McClendon knows way more about baseball than I ever will. If we were to sit down and talk about like philosophies and analytics, we'd probably disagree on everything. But if this means I get to interview Lloyd a couple times. He's not always like a great quote unless you get him talking about like vodka. But like I don't know, I won't mind interacting with Lloyd a little bit. So yeah, well, you know. Uh, 
it's a baseball hire. You know, like, here's a baseball man you brought in to help your organization. It's hard for me to be mad at it, you know? Like, it's it's hard for me to be mad at bringing it in, and like, you know, a know. baseball man, pure, pure and simple. Is it, does it feel like kind of a step backward, a step back into the old Tigers way of thinking? I, I, I think it kind of does, but in the greater context, like, I also get it. I If he does this for more than one year, then... Then that makes it a little different, but I, and I'm, I bet and it's I'm like sure all this stuff share. was like discussed with him, like sure, you know, like this is what we're doing as an organization right now, and you know, are you is that going to be okay with you? You know, blah blah blah. And in theory, he would. If I'm said, Lloyd, I wonder if he just missed baseball. Also, if I'm Lloyd, yeah. like why the hell would you? Man, this guy's accomplished a lot in his career. You're going to go back and manage AAA, like yeah, you'll get paid a little, but I don't, I don't think Lloyd's doing it for the money, like. I must really miss baseball. Cause if I were him, I think I'd be like, "No, man, good luck. Like, get someone else to manage the mud hens. Like, I've been there, done that." Uh, Maybe it's a baseball know, purist. Kind of crazy. He, baseball he, purist, he must so. have wanted to be in the dugout. Yeah. All right. So we'll transition as we uh, for the last topic of the day. We'll transition from development, maybe not as key as one would think, to something that development is the major key. Um, you got to hear from Jackson Job this week. Uh, he spoke to reporters. One of the few uh, few instances of not going to call it a press conference, but obviously like a press availability and all that stuff. Because obviously he's a minor league player. Um, we haven't heard that much about or from Jackson Job. Uh, these things typically don't bring out much of a talking point but was there anything anything you got to hear from the number three overall pick in the draft for the first time in months was there anything to glean from that obviously the headline is like his uh work progress he, the fact he still has not essentially pitched as a professional player would you believe kieran that jackson job uh has been working hard <laughs> i hope so would you believe that he's uh, he's ready to play baseball? <laughs> this is groundbreaking stuff here. That was, that was really the theme of the interview, and that's not a knock on Jackson. That's not necessarily a knock on any of the reporters. I sat in on the Zoom, and I'm going to be honest. I did not ask a question. I was trying to think of something insightful to ask, and I was like, like I got nothing. Like He got asked, like, how have you been working out? And after that, like, like are you ready to pitch? You know, it's... There's just not that much to talk about. When he throws off a mound once to a real hitter, uh, then we'll have something to talk about. And, like, I get it. It's January. Everyone's trying to write stories. I didn't write a story off of it because I thought it was just brutally uninteresting and there was nothing that could have been done by anyone to make it interesting. You're talking to a kid who has not faced a live hitter since last May. Uh, maybe if he was doing some crazy off-season workout, that could have been a story. Instead, it's like, no, I'm like, pitching and like working out he weighs 205 pounds he weighed 195 uh, around the time he was drafted i think he said he was 210 in lakeland and was like trying to get back to 210 so if you're into if you're into that you know he's guess what this 18 year old he's gotten a little bigger a little stronger <laughs> <laughs> shit who would have thought uh, <laughs> 
it is kind of interesting, even when he was in Lakeland uh, for like instructionals or whatever, he, he did not face live batters, like even, it doesn't sound like in BP, like he has not thrown to a guy in the box in forever, which I feel like must be really weird when you're 18 and have been playing baseball year round. Like I'm sure he is itching to face a live batter. I'm interested to see him face a live batter, and we will have a lot more to talk about whenever he does face a live batter. Well, one of the things we're going to have to talk about is how good of a prospect is he really? Now, I am on record as saying that I'm I like, I, I, I'm like, down for the reasoning of the pick. I would have taken Meyer, but I ain't mad about taking, taking Job. Who, reminder, everybody, I have the first nickname, The Magician. I hope he does well because I want to be the one who gave a top-notch player a nickname going forward. I want that to be on his baseball reference page eventually. But that's a side note. Right now, he's not getting all that much respect, Cody. Not getting that much respect. Uh, you could you could choose a lot of lists. I just kind of went with the MLB one for the prospect list. He's number 46. And I'm going to list the top 10 draft picks. From this past draft and where they're ranked. So number one was Henry Davis. He's number 22. Remember, he was a catcher from Louisville. Jack Leiter, college pitcher from Vanderbilt to the Rangers. He's number 12. Um, Marcelo Meyer, again, this guy that basically all of Tigers Twitter wanted the Tigers to take, was number nine. Colton Cosner. It was a little bit of a, a surprise that he went as high as he did. Sam Houston State outfielder. He's number 76. So, yeesh. On that one, Jordan Lawler from where I am right now. Dallas, Texas, number 13 overall. Uh, I believe this was a high school outfielder, but my I did not jot this down in my notes. Frank Mazzucato is not ranked number 7 overall. Uh, Benny Montgomery, number eight overall, number 93 prospect, Sam Bachman, number nine overall, number 87 prospect, and a favorite of Tiger's Twitter is not ranked because he's not a professional player. Number 10, Kumar Rocker. Ouch. Uh, who, we might be having this conversation later in the summer. Well, we get to a whole other year to talk about Kumar Rocker again. I still like him. I still like him. And maybe he'll fall. Kumar in like the second round, like hell yeah, I'd do that. It'd be great value. So, you know, we you got the Greens of the world and the Torkelsons of the world, sort of headlining basically every prospect list, and they're not going to be prospects very much longer. Job is, in a lot of ways, an afterthought right now, and and in a way, it's kind of weird that the number three overall pick is again that much love immediately after selection. I think like the MLB pipeline has him in the 40s. That's fine. Baseball America has him at 79. I actually think that's kind of appropriate. It says, hey, we respect this guy's talent. He's ob- He went number three in the draft. He has elite spin rates. He's a top 100 talent. We're not really going to bump him up there until he throws a professional inning. I think that's fair. Now, I will share with you Keith Law's uh, top 100 list will run on The Athletic. I believe Monday or sometime soon this week. And Jackson Job's not on there. And I disagree with that. Like, I think 
I don't know. You can not like the pick, and that's fine. I still think it's kind of crazy to not have Jackson Job on your top 100. Like, what is that? What is that based on? Scouts liked him a lot. The Tigers liked him more than yeah. He would have been more than most teams, thereafter. but like he would have. It's not like he was. Yeah, it's not like he was like irrelevant. Like Jack, like teams like Jackson Job. The Tigers probably liked him the most out of everyone, and they did take him over Meyer. And if you want to knock that pick, hey, I ain't gonna argue with you. But like to not say Jackson Job is one of the top 100 prospects in baseball seems rather absurd to me i would assume the reasoning is like okay he's like what 18 19 he's not thrown a professional inning i get that i would still put him on the lower uh half of that list maybe even the last quarter of that list just as a nod to clearly this guy's a pretty elite talent or he wouldn't have gotten number three or when he wouldn't have been scouted to that high of a level in the first mm-hmm. place so um I, I think that's that's kind of like trying a little too hard to like knock the pick by not even putting Job in the top 100. Yeah. And again, it, it bears repeating that he would have been taken high. It's not like, like I, I honestly think if my memory serves me correct, I think Colton Cosner going five was probably considered, there was another reach in there. There's another high school pitcher. I believe that the Royals took, uh, that was, I think that was, and again, my notes are lacking, Mazzucato, I think that was the Royals pick, a high school mm. pitcher, and that was considered more of a reach than Job, and in my opinion, based on what everyone was saying, I'm not going to pretend to be an, an analyst of these prospects, especially the ones in high school. Um, but so like, like Keith Law has Brady House at number 46. House was the Tigers liked Brady House a lot, probably almost took him. Khalil Watson, 47. Are they that much better than Jackson Job? Like, can you, like, are we really saying that definitively? I think that's kind of crazy. Yeah. Well, I, I found a comp, or I guess a potential comp for Jackson Job. And it's a guy who's just got a World Series ring. Ian Anderson was also a high school pitcher, I believe from New Jersey, maybe New York, New York, New Jersey. Uh, drafted number three overall by the Atlanta Braves. And. I'm just going to say kind of his timeline uh, for people to kind of have a little bit of a perspective about what Jackson Job's going to be going through. So again, 2016, number three overall high school pitcher. He reached double A in 2018. So it took him those couple months of just kind of getting some pitching in and then the whole season and then eventually he got to double A in what would be his second prof- full professional season, third and you know second and change, whatever. Next year he made it up to triple A, and then the weird year of 2020, you know, probably would have gotten in sooner, but he he got his major league debut in 2020, and then last year 2021 was in the rotation and was actually worth 2.7 WAR. So, um, he's a guy who I believe is about to turn 23 or just turned 23, you know, depending on his birthday or whatever, but we're talking long haul development here. And, and that's all a given when you take a high school pitcher, like none of that should be surprising, but, uh, just a little perspective. And I think there's some other guys that have not made major leagues and, 
a short amount of time. Mackenzie Gore. Um, I don't think he was number three overall, but Hunter Green is still. Hunter Green was way up there and yeah. ranks highly on Keith Law's list, by the way. Yeah, and he's taken his sweet time as he's tried to kind of, just like Joe was not a full-time pitcher mm-hmm. um, the majority of his prep career, trying to find his form in the minor league. So, um, But he was also hyped the entire time, cover of Sports Illustrated, so it's a little bit different, but similar situations, similar parameters, and we're still waiting. So this is this is a long haul pick, but it maybe that's why we're not talking about him all that much, just as a baseball Tigers collective. But um, sometimes I think I just don't want people to be under the impression that it's like he's not getting talked about because he has no talent or he has no upside or whatever, and that's clearly not the case. I think it's int- I think some of it's a reflection of like okay we're finally talking about big league players now which is good, but th- I mean the level of hype that was around Mize and Manning and Alex Fiedel like I think Jackson Job is a more intriguing pitching prospect than probably any of those guys like I get the hype around Mize he was number one overall that's great Job's like overall stuff just seems more intriguing and good or bad like fun to watch and talk about than probably any of those guys. Riley Green was a high school pick, and granted, he kind of earned it with his play, but we were always on the Riley Green train, a lot of talk. And there was like, oh, Joe, like, uh, okay, whatever. And some of that's because, like, some of that's because we get to talk about Javi Baez. I think we would be talking about Meyer more as well, so I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, and again, shortly down the line, because he's a minor leaguer, we'll be able to, uh, See him do some live stuff, you know. Here more recently, I would you know, <laughs> say to say, tell us a lot. Then uh, we'll be able to see him pitch before we see Casey Mice pitch. Let's just phrase it like this that. is true. <laughs> All right, we'll wrap up here with uh, my Cobb connection. Um, I started out with Javi Baez this 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 go okay. around, and. It is long, but it didn't feel as long as I was doing this, like with Robbie Grossman last last week. So I was kind of running down. Javi Baez, on... Nick Chinock, Javi Baez's agent. If you're listening, text me back. Yes, friend of the podcast. So we got it. Friend, oh, friend, yeah, and friend of the podcast. So it'd be lo- lovely if you could text Cody back. You can also text me, and then I'll text Cody as well. Just saying. Um, Javi Baez, on July 1st, 2016, was in the lineup with Ben Zobrist. Obviously, they were with the Cubs. Ben Zobrist, on August 12th, 2006, while with the Rays, shared the lineup card with one Travis Lee. Travis Lee, on April 17th, 1998, while a member of the Diamondbacks, shared the lineup with Devin White. Devin White... On September 18th, 1985, played alongside Rod Carew. Rod Carew, while a member of the Twins, was in the lineup with Harmon Killebrew on April 21st, 1967. Harmon Killebrew, while just a pup, on August 19th, 1954, was in the lineup with Mickey Vernon. Mickey Vernon was back-to-back in the lineup while a member of the Senators on August 3rd, 1939 with Rick Farrell, Hall of Famer. 
And Rick Farrell with the St. Louis Browns on May 22nd, 1930, was in the lineup with Heaney Manish, who pinch hit in a game on July 1st, 1923, in the lineup with one Tyrus, Tyrus Raymond Cobb. So that one was one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Not bad. Okay. Not bad for a young guy. Shout out, by the way, to readers and listeners. Uh, got more feedback on the, the Ty Cobb story and, and trip uh, to the Ty Cobb Museum than I probably anticipated. Only had two people on Twitter accuse me of trying to whitewash history, by the way. Two people who I assume did not read our article or uh, listen to our podcast. Yeah, that's probably fair because uh, if anyone is familiar with you, one of the last things you would do with whitewash anything. Truth. So, and obviously you're the journalist, you're the objective one. Um, but I did try to be very fair on the podcast in my assessments uh, with Cobb and uh, don't really feel like we try to cover anything up. So uh, that's probably very fair that they didn't actually read or listen. And I would encourage them. I, mean, I would assume they didn't because I think if they did, they would, they would view it a little differently. I would encourage them to. I would encourage everybody to listen to the pod and be a subscriber to The Athletic and read your articles. And uh, by the way, if you like what we're saying, subscribe, Apple and Spotify, and follow Cody on Twitter, at Cody Stavenhagen. I'm at Kieran underscore Steckley. Our pod page is at Turn Corner Pod. No college connection this week, but it's because we have a long one next week. And there's so many moving parts that I wanted to be able to give us some time <laughs> to to put it all together. And otherwise, this podcast would be like an hour and 45 minutes. So try to keep it around an hour. Uh, there's got to be a long. short one. There's got to be something we can say in like two minutes here. There's got to <laughs> be something. Uh, well, you know, here's if you want to share this one, we talked about We've talked about guys that we like uh, in in baseball and guys that are not liked and like Barry Bonds, Kurt Schilling, Roger Clemens too. See, the thing about the Bonds, Clemens, Schilling thing is that like Clemens is and Bonds are also not liked, and they kind of it's like a Venn diagram. It's like Kurt Schilling this way, and then bonds and uh clemens this way because they're not liked for different reasons we don't have to get into the roger clemens stuff but uh there's a lot of there would be reasons if he wasn't connected to peds that people would not vote him in the hall of fame everybody can kind of do their own research on that um but why don't we talk about a base a baseball man who is just of high character the the current baseball coach at oklahoma state josh holiday um, oh, God, I thought we were going to talk about Jim Traver, Kieran. Would have been far more interesting. Oh, that's a that's it. <laughs> I don't even know where to begin on Jim Traver. Maybe that'll be another one. Jim uh, Traver, uh, former Baltimore Oriole, Oklahoma State alum, now a radio host in Oklahoma City. There are many a Jim Traver story. A lot of them we probably shouldn't say on air. A much cleaner, nicer man, Josh Holiday, brother of Matt Holiday, um, 
Man, I don't know. Josh Holiday, one of the favorite people I've ever covered. Uh, great coach, loved by his players, and just a generous guy. A guy who you can sit in his press conference and be like, I'm ready to put on some spikes and go play for you, man. Like, there was a time or two in college I was like, I wonder if I could be, like, the last guy on the bench on this team. Like, I would just, like, lay down some bunts in practice. Like, I, I would ne- never go in a game. I, I think maybe I maybe could have been, like, the last guy on the bench. And sometimes I was like, I almost want to just try it, because that's how badly I want to play for Josh Holiday right now. Also, son of Tom Holiday, whom I expect no one to really know who that is, but he was a longtime coach at Oklahoma State, and Spencer Torgelson, one of his summer Cape league Cod managers. league coach, and uh, recruited Casey Mize to Auburn. I don't believe he actually coached Mize at Auburn. There was a, a staff turnover, but recruited Casey Mize to Auburn. Yes, and... Um, a couple anecdotes to illustrate the kind of guy that Josh Holiday is. You know, there'd be times where we were doing like school projects that also kind of coincided with like, you know, our actual work with the newspaper, which sometimes can kind of get a little messy because a lot of our work was outside of the academic requirements. Um, but so we kind of like explained to him, it's like, hey, Josh, like we're trying to do this, you know, like it's, you know, kind of apologize to him, you know, and. And he always be game. He always, you know, would, you know, cooperate with us on, like, offensive, like, or excuse me, defensive alignment philosophies and, you know, things like that. And, you know, one time, didn't didn't you, like, interview him while he was at the airport or something? Like, what? Uh, he called me, yeah, uh, from an airport, like, on his way back from a recruiting trip. And, number one, he was, like, very apologetic for not having a uh, – called me earlier and he's like sorry like i was recruiting i was like oh no that's amazing that you're calling me at all right now from the airport um i saw this guy also put up with some crazy stuff you know there would be students usually doing classwork who would kind of get like media credentials or whatever and sometimes they weren't didn't always really know what they were doing there was a girl once who asked him coach what did you think of the calls the umpires made (laughs) you know after i think like a tough loss i was like oh and he was just like, you know, I would never comment on the umpires. And there are many a coach out there who probably would have just ripped this poor girl's head off. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was a reporter for the local paper in Stillwater who brought his baby into Josh Holiday's office. And the baby threw up in Josh Holiday's office carpet <laughs> in the middle of an interview. And it was crazy awkward. And Josh just sat there and was so gracious and, like, started asking about the, like, this infant baby, you know. And I was just like, there, there are a lot of coaches who would not put up with this. So, yeah, great, great guy. And I would argue, I don't examine this, but I would argue Oklahoma State probably has the most high-profile coaching staff in college baseball. Um, yes. Holiday was a, was a very good player at Oklahoma State. Obviously, now he's a manager, head coach. Matt Holiday is an assistant. As is Robin Ventura. Robin Ventura, former uh, obviously Robin. All-Star and manager of the White Sox. I know Robin a little bit, too. I like Robin a lot. Uh, He's a student manager, Volunteer, volunteer student, assistant, st- yeah. Student Doing volunteer it for, assistant. Went back to get his degree. I love it. Yeah, and became a student, quote-unquote, assistant. So, uh, And they no longer play, but they used to play at Allie P. Reynolds Stadium. And Another we didn't even bring up Rob Walton. Rob Walton is a genius pitching coach, yeah. by the way. Yeah, Rob Walton, genius pitching coach, and... Uh, uh, like I said, Allie P. Reynolds Stadium, Allie P. Reynolds, uh, alum of Oklahoma State, another one of those borderline Hall of Famers, you know, kind of tie things up 
as we wrap up here. So, all right, we're going to get out of here. Um, want to thank everybody for listening, everyone for subscribing, everyone for staying with us as we go through this lockout. The kind words that we saw on Twitter um, for the Ty Cobb discussion was great, and then also the comments on, on Cody's stories. I hope everybody subscribes to The Athletic. Cody's still churning out content despite the fact that, you know, Gotta be creative when, with your story ideas right now when there's a lockout, it's off season, there's you know, no end in sight. So he's doing a great job. Hope you guys appreciate that. I appreciate y'all. We appreciate y'all for listening, subscribing, Apple, Spotify, following on Twitter at Cody Statement Hagen. I am at Kieran underscore Steckley. Our pod page is at Turn Corner Pod. So for Kieran Steckley and Cody Statement Hagen, thank you for listening.